This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, thank goodness for the plague ship. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that is close at hand. Rejoice! I am Gep and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this episode we have what is a very stupid, very on the surface of it, pretty terrible episode that doesn't really (laughs) do much, has some weird predestination stuff that goes kind of unexamined, the plot Mm -hmm. sort of takes care of itself... With no particular interaction from anyone on on the ship. But But. introduces (laughs) the best reoccurring character in all of Star Trek, and you can fight me. Uh, We're talking about Mr. Holm, right? Yes. Mr. Holm is the best (laughs) character that's ever been in Star Trek. He's tall, quiet, They probably should have just canonically made him the robot from the original series. Like he just, oh, yeah. I just, I don't know. I found this robot dude, makes a good butler. <laughs> so, anyway, we are now on the episode very simply called Haven, which is based around a planet called Haven, uh, which is uh, apparently an amazing place that uh, you know, uh, s- s- uh s- soothes souls and heals bodies and has wonderful beaches and beautiful landscapes, and we're not going to see anything of it other than a, you know, what we can see through a window. Yep, one tiny window. It's just there. It's a nice window. <laughs> this episode is written by Tracy Torme, uh, mm-hmm. who's a screenwriter, worked on Saturday Night Live in the 80s, and did a lot of work on the first season of Next Generation. He also worked on the show Sliders, which is one of my favorite really dumb sci-fi TV shows. Ah, yes. Glorious, glorious show that. <laughs> and Lan Okun, who's a screenwriter, playwriter, and composer, did work on The Love Boat alongside Star Trek and The Twilight Zone with like many, many other things. Uh, contemporary mm-hmm. shows uh, often collaborated with his sister-in-law, Sherry Lewis, to write Lamb Chop. Oh, yes. Lamb Chops sing along. So like, I had not thought about that show in so long. It was such a formative part of my childhood. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten about it just because nobody talks about it anymore. And now it's shown up yeah. so many times in connection with various Star Trek episodes. <laughs> You know, it's kind of contemporary and you know mm-hmm. be people working on one thing are going to work on more than one thing so they're going to be working with some of that occasionally yeah it just makes me wonder why it had so little cultural impact like we still we still have sesame street on the air we still remember stuff that was on that was on for as short of a time like, whatever happened to lamb chop you no know, sherry lewis got kind of older and you know you if you're sort of the core of the show you know you can only sort of do that sort of thing for so long that's true and Nobody wanted to take over for her like Jim Henson. But uh, oh, I have one more thing to say about Tracy Torme, though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, their uh, dad is Mel Torme, the uh, uh, the singer fellow, uh, who also showed up in an episode of Sliders. <laughs> I wonder if this. I wonder if they worked on that episode. I wonder if they wrote that Maybe. episode. <laughs> 
I, I could look it up, but we're doing Star Trek today, so yes. we can do that. Later. We can do sliders later. <laughs> I mean, we. I don't know how to structure other shows. This is a problem. But sliders <laughs> is really weird. Just doing some one-off episodes of sliders would be interesting. Maybe uh, between you know series, we could do a couple episodes of sliders or something like that. <laughs> so we've got quite a few guest stars this episode. It's a more of an ensemble episode. So yeah. first appearance in. Next generation of Majel Barrett as the iconic and wonderful Luxana Troy. Yes. Mother to uh, Diana Troy. So uh, she's uh, a Betazoid. Uh, can, uh, you know, uh, read some minds, can telepathy with other Betazoids and uh, other, uh, you know, sort of uh, psychic sort of folks there. Um, and yeah, she's uh, rather intense. And so, you know, some folks uh, love her. Some people don't like her very much. Uh, I find her uh, rather endearing to a certain degree, even though in this episode she's kind of trolling a lot. So <laughs> she is, but in a fun yes. way. She's she's yes. so intense and so annoying, but so not mean spirited, mm-hmm. which is what makes her yeah. work so well as a character. Of course, we've talked about so- Majel Barrett many many times before. If you do mm-hmm. not know who she is by now, what are you doing here? Why did you click on this? <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, kind of one of those people that is just with Star Trek for like her, her almost her entire life. Yes. So, you know. Uh, Robert Keeper is playing Wyatt Miller. Um, he appeared in a variety of shows and movies like That's Life. I've never heard of it. Uh, Young Guns <laughs> 2, The Twilight Zone. Uh, he was known for playing a character called Teabag in Prison Break. That sounds lovely. Never saw Prison Break. <laughs> Neither have I. And was the leader of the superhero, I forget what they call them in that show, Carnival in the fourth season of Heroes, which is the one that no one watched because by then Heroes was no longer culturally relevant. Yes, uh, I uh, do recall that season. Uh, it was interesting, but yeah, the uh, at that point, yeah, a lot of the mystery had been kind of sucked out. And they were in the uh, phase of, all right, well, we kind of need our heroes to keep reinventing themselves to keep people interested. So they'll lose powers, gain powers, lose powers, gain powers. And, you know, all the good guys become bad guys. All the bad guys become good guys, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, this that, that's, the, that's the season that I remember watching like two episodes of going, this is shit and stopping. Yeah. And then <laughs> it making me realize just how bad the rest of that show really had been. When you take away yeah. the novelty. <laughs> ah, so much potential wasted. Also guest starring Nan Martin as Victoria Miller. She is well known for her Broadway work. Uh, her first movie was The Man in the Gray Flannel Shirt, who, which also starred DeForest Kelly. She had a small role in that. And she was also on many television shows like Twilight Zone, The Fugitive, The FBI. (laughs) Also Major Dad, uh, a bunch of things like Pirates of Dark Water. Uh, So stuff you've heard about, some of it you've never heard of. Uh, Also St. Elsewhere, so, you know. So in everything. Westfall Universe strikes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Robert Ellenstein as Stephen Miller. There's a whole Miller clan in this episode mm-hmm. he had a very long career in tv and movies had a lot of guest spots was in wild wild west mission impossible uh the lawyers something i don't the lawless years man from uncle etc etc he was previously 
in Star Trek mm-hmm. because he played the Federation president in Star Trek Four: Voyage Home, yes. the whale one. You know, it's like he's the guy who's like, okay, uh, Kirk, you're like super guilty, but nah. <laughs> well, you are super guilty, but you did save Earth again. So I guess we'll let you off easy. <laughs> and finally, Carl Strike Striken. Not going to be able to pronounce that well. As Mr. <laughs> Holm, a Dutch actor. That is why I cannot pronounce that well. My apologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dutch people. He is best known for his role in Twin Peaks. Uh, need to get around to watching that at some point. He played Lurch in the 90s Adam Family films. Started acting because he was grabbed off of the street by a person casting for Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. Yes. <laughs> Which is Beatles related, but it's not featuring the Beatles specifically. Anyway. Yeah. It's one of those stories like this guy was just walking down the street. He's like, you, I need you for a film. Oh, okay. (laughs) Said, okay, that, you know, I don't, I'm kind of, you know, lanky. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly why we want you actually. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) He also played the villain in the made for TV movie Ewoks Battle for Endor. Yes. The Battle for Endor! And at the same time he appeared in this, he was also in the film uh, Witches of Eastwick. So he's he's been around. He's one of those guys. Yes. He's everywhere. Uh, speaking of Witches of Eastwick, uh, he apparently wrote a song for that. Oh, I missed that. Uh, you know, Fun. Fedora. Oh, that's all, the guest, that's all the main <laughs> guest stars, but also we should mention that this is another iconic appearance of Armin Sherman, best known for playing Quark. Uh, this was actually the first thing that he ever filmed for Star Trek because they they aired them out of filming order uh, where he mm-hmm. plays the box. The box. <laughs> yes. It, the box, which only shows up at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. but it is. Uh, it's very memorable. It's probably the one yes. thing like I don't know. If, I don't know if everyone would be able to hear like, oh, Haven, the episode with the box. Yes. <laughs> if you know anyone who watched star trek the next generation growing up and you go oh yeah you know the box like oh yeah it's the box yeah, the box the box the box <laughs> the box where it's there and then it's alive and you're like oh gosh it's gonna kill us <laughs> i just imagining this career trajectory it's like we loved you as the box you really encapsulated the, box. <laughs> the boxiness of the box how would you like to play a goblin thing so yes, first appearance of Armin Sherman as Box, who never appeared again. Mm. That should have been a reoccurring character. What if he ran the bar on DS9? <laughs> Just a box on the bar. What if the box was the DS9 bar owner? That would have been so much, so much better, in my mind. So, Box, uh, are you up to any criminal mischief right now? Everyone gets drinks. Rejoice. <laughs> So yeah, that's all the guest stars. That's all the thingies. It's a big cast this week. Yeah, there are a couple other people, but they're not super important. But, but you know. the best <laughs> thing about this episode is that nothing particularly interesting happens. Yes. <laughs> I, I guess uh, Data uh, sums it up uh, well of, uh, you know, could the uh, petty bickering continue, please? <laughs> <laughs> all right. And we can continue then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Continue at the beginning. For the first time, we meet again. For the first time. 
for the last time. The Enterprise is taking R&R at the planet Haven, a place so amazing it's rumored to be able to heal the sick and brokenhearted. Oh, that's kind of cool. Riker's relaxing, which to him means watching a hologram of ladies playing lutes, but it's interrupted because he needs to come look at something that's been transported aboard. I'm really glad this was interrupted because whatever the heck Riker thinks is entertainment, I don't want to know where that was going. <laughs> so you, you play some uh, harps for a while and get real chill. Mm -hmm. Then what happens? Yeah, he looks way, <laughs> way too pleased with what was going on for that to just be harp music. Yes. <laughs> so what's been transported in is a box with a face. The box, it's here. Which I remember as a child, like, I could not for the life of me work out how they did that. <laughs> like, I thought they designed some sort of animatronic or something instead of obviously yeah. he's just poking his head up through a hole in the floor. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it's probably the only time they really needed to like, put a hole in the floor of the transporter. So, Yeah, which they could I mean, if they had the hole for the thing, why'd they never just accidentally transport somebody's head on? They're like, oh, well, this seems like a sticky predicament. <laughs> oh, I appear to be a disembodied head. Uh, <laughs> where's my body? Yeah, like, don't, then, then O'Brien gets to like, oh, I'll take care of it. Don't lose your head. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, there's comedy potential here that they don't use yes. because the transporter is horrifying and you shouldn't think about it. Indeed. <laughs> so the box just sits there doing nothing until Troy walks in when the box suddenly springs to life and announces that Loxana Troy and the Miller family will soon arrive for Deanna's wedding. Surprise! You're getting married right, right now. Apparently, it is a Betazoid tradition to have genetic bonding, which is basically future speak for arranged marriages. Yes. So, um, yeah, so apparently there was an arranged marriage ages ago, and Deanna just kind of never mentioned it until this point. Yeah. The Millers and her father were very close friends, so she and the Millers' son have been arranged to be married since they were children, but haven't seen or heard from each other in years. So, uh, I guess, it, you know, I guess a sort of, this sort of happened sort of thing? Mm-hmm. But still, a little like, well, I guess I don't know who this person is at this point, so I would have liked to at least, I don't know, gotten a correspondence at some point. Well, Deanna just never mentioned it because she thought that being on the ship for years and years at a time would mean they'd never be able to track her down. <laughs> I'm always fleeing. <laughs> but now she needs to get married and then apparently leave the ship. I don't see why, but okay. Well, uh, you know, you could talk it out with your uh, future husband here about... Uh, you know, hey, would you like to be a doctor on this ship as, you know, non-commissioned sort of person? Or, I don't know, just sort of work in one of the labs as a civilian or yeah. anything? So Riker's a bit pissy because they haven't figured out what to do with this part of his character yet. And he's very possessive, mm -hmm. even though he doesn't want to be together. But he doesn't want her to be with other people either. It's not great. Yeah. So, uh, Riker, you need to, like, chill this entire episode, uh. But I guess we'll kind of have you be chiller later. So the Miller's being bored. Victoria's a bit icy and slightly weird. But Stephen Miller is just really happy and excited to be there. And Wyatt is completely smitten with Deanna, but she's not what he expected in some way. Well, uh, Wyatt, uh, do you want to share your uh, your art project there? No? Okay. Nope, nope. He's just carrying around boxes and boxes <laughs> of drawings. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, you, you'd think he's an artist, but he's actually a doctor, but, you know. <laughs> so the Millers are taken to their quarters because Deanna's mother, Luxana, has some sort of unspecified beef with them and will not beam up until they leave. 
which seems like a great place to start this family relationship. Yeah. So uh, that's that's trouble there. Huh. So Luxana beams aboard with her butler, Mr. Holm. She is the best. She beams in backward and goes, where is everyone? <laughs> oh, <wow>. OK. <laughs> she telepathically talks to Deanna. Uh, Picard gets to carry a giant oversized bag that he can barely walk with. Yes. It's like, oh, you're the captain of the ship. You should be able to carry my bag, right? <laughs> um, okay. Picard's like, uh, all right. Uh, this is a little weird as far as, you know, engagement with guests goes, but I'll humor you for the time being. <laughs> Picard just cannot wait to get out of there. He leaves as soon as physically possible. Yep. <laughs> You know, I, I have to sort of uh, give it to Picard. Uh, he kind of knows that he's in a very silly episode the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, even at the beginning where he's doing the captain's log, he's like, you know, you know, Haven is awesome, but I fear too quickly where, you know, things are going to start happening because I suddenly realized we're in a comedy episode. I, mean, I love this <laughs> about Patrick Stewart and all of his performances, that he is can do serious and gravitas and shakespearean so well but he is at heart an incredibly silly human yes (laughs) and anytime they give him a chance to do anything weird or slightly off kilter or funny he just jumps in yes (laughs) oh i'm reminded of that one clip where uh, it's like yeah you yeah yeah, we want you to be in our film you know oh is there going to be any nudity Um, um yes um Guys or gals? Um, a little both. Oh, I mean, mostly girls. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> so as soon as Picard leaves, uh, Luxana and Diana have a psychic conversation about how hard it is to live with humans because we're constantly thinking one thing and saying another, which I guess would be something that a telepath would have to deal with. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I don't know which one you actually want to use as you make your decisions what to say. And Deanna's hesitant about the marriage, and so is Loxana, but it's tradition, and they don't feel like there's really anything either of them can particularly do about it. Well, yeah, Loxana does kind of uh, adhere to traditions a lot, especially in this episode, so. So Deanna decides it would probably be a good idea to actually talk to future husband. Uh, turns out he's a doctor. Uh, he doesn't seem very into it, because he keeps drawing stuff instead of doctoring, you know. Yes. <laughs> I guess I'm a doctor, but my real passion is art. Yeah. He keeps drawing the same woman over and over and over. And he's been seeing her in his dreams since he was a child. He figured that this was like Deanna telepathically projecting into his mind. But turns out, no, it's random, incredibly 80s looking woman. Yes. Uh, big hair. It's all real floofy and all that. Yeah. Like the, the only way I can describe this person is imagine an 80s workout video and you're there. <laughs> There we go, yes. <laughs> so Haven contacts the ship because they have detected an approaching vessel and the Federation Treaty obligates them to defend the planet from approaching hostile ships. Turns out that this is a Telerian ship, which we've not mm. heard of before because this is the only episode they appear in. But apparently the Telerians were a humanoid species whose planet reached sort of late 20th century level of technology, but then they unleashed a biological weapon that infected their entire population. A lot of them left, but that just spread the infection to other places, killing everyone there too. Well, that's kind of awful. Um, So uh, maybe we should convince them not to come near the planet then. Yeah, eventually it got to the point where their ships were hunted down 
to avoid the infection spreading. The last one was believed destroyed eight years ago, but apparently not. Well, uh, just a little genocide, you know, that's fine. This particular ship is traveling at sub-warp speeds, which is probably why they've been unnoticed for so long, because it would have taken them a couple thousand years to get anywhere. Yes. Uh, so yeah, they've been uh, apparently uh, just cruising along uh, for ages. Though I guess if they you know have impulse drive, whatever, they can get up to like near light speed, maybe, I guess. But also... Uh, well, I guess in Star Trek, late 20th century, you know, they had, you know, like the Botany Bay sort of vessel. So maybe, I guess. No one knows. If it was eight years ago, <laughs> who knows how long they've been in space? Yes. Or, who, or how close <laughs> any of these things are to each other. Yes, or how uh, fast yeah. impulse drive even goes, because they can get out of the solar system right quick on impulse. <laughs> so yeah, there's all sorts of, uh, we just kind of make it happen as far as you know, storytelling goes here in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Remember, canon is stupid. Fungible, I guess. <laughs> but because they're traveling at sublight speeds, they have a few hours before they reach the planet, so there's no reason to deal with it now. Yeah. So uh, let's like get back to the main plot. So they start all planning Deanna's wedding party, because why deal with an imminent threat when you can plan a wedding? Yes. <laughs> Luxon and the Millers immediately get into an argument about what sort of wedding they're going to have because the Millers want Picard to officiate a human ceremony while Luxana wants her traditional Beta Z wedding. Picard puts a stop to all of this by just saying, stop arguing, we're eating now, which is kind of a nice yes. captain position. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to fiat this uh, conversation to an end so that it just ends mm -hmm. now, please. This is not helping. If you want to have this argument, do it on your own time. I want to eat dinner. So Wyatt is fascinated by the Talarian ship because he did biological virus analysis in med school. And the doctor and he are talking about working together on possibly helping in some way. Basically, the thing to take away from this is he's really fascinated with the Talarian ship and considers it his like sacred duty to help them, etc., etc. So, uh, Diana, you might get uh, whisked away uh, to... Uh Observe a plague ship for the rest of your life. Congratulations! Uh, Luxana enjoys antagonizing Victoria Miller because she has some sort of plant thing, pet, that she yeah. sends over to bother her, which freaks her out. <laughs> it's like obviously like just like a plastic vine sort of thing, but it's going over and just kind of touching her, and you know, she's like, "Oh god!" Yeah, it's they basically <laughs> keep antagonizing each other and bickering. Uh, Data is fascinated by the interactions and keeps asking goading questions. He asks Luxana to explain the Betazoid wedding that she mentioned. Turns out it's where everyone gets nude to celebrate love, but mostly just to give her an opportunity to antagonize Victoria more. Indeed. <laughs> now, this uh, uh, nude wedding practice uh, does uh, show up in uh, later episodes uh, mm -hmm. uh, as well. Something so, they uh, keep around, which is interesting. Yep. <laughs> So it's not just, you know, for this sort of occasion to antagonize her. Also, she's doing a traditional Beta Z Thanksgiving thing, which is basically Mr. Home hits a gong every time she takes a bite of food. <laughs> Bong. Which, like, I get that it's in there to just be annoying, and I don't know if they thought this far through the thing, but it's actually mm -hmm. kind of fascinating that you could have something that to a human would be incredibly distracting and annoying, but to a telepathic species, it would not interrupt dinner conversation. Yep. <laughs> it's like the sounds is part of the ambiance here, while the actual uh, interactions is on a different level entirely. So you don't have to worry about it interfering. So uh, 
bong away, uh, Mr. Holm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Mr. Holm's probably drunk at this point. Yeah, so. he's usually. Yeah. <laughs> so ever, all this bickering and fighting is the last straw for Deanna, who tells her mother to shut up and runs away. Well, I think that's an appropriate uh, reaction there. Yep. So <laughs> She finds Riker in the holodeck, where he's sulking about the wedding. They can't really talk about it, though, because Wyatt shows up immediately, which kind of... Why have Riker here at all, basically? Yeah. What is the point of this if they're not going to talk? Now, there is, this might be just sort of an editing failure, but you know when uh, uh, Troy comes on, you know we see the whole holodeck door thing and you know the sounds and all, and she's there now talking with Riker. Then Wyatt walks on without the sounds or any of the uh, you know visuals there, and then Riker leaves, but you hear the door open and close then. So maybe Wyatt was just hiding on the holodeck. Yeah, he came in with Deanna. No one noticed. <laughs> or there's like a special, if you ask the computer, like, can I sneak up on someone? It does it very, it opens the door quietly. The noise is unnecessary. Yes. <laughs> so Wyatt's very impressed with how Deanna shamed their parents into compromising, which is interesting. Riker excuses himself immediately so that they can do lovey-dovey things at each other. Yes. Deanna and Wyatt talk very briefly about whether they want to get married or not, and then make out. Make out, make out. At this point in the series, basically at no point in the series, which I appreciate personally, they do not know how to write a love story. They just just don't. It doesn't work. Not what the show's about. Not a strong suit. Yeah, it's also the the trouble with a love story on a show with this sort of format is that it's only ever going to last a single episode. Um, you know, unless it's like a lingering subtext that they don't have to actually remember episode to episode. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> it's got to end at some point by the end of the episode. So your love story has to be quick, maybe still stilted and end in some sort of resolution where they're not together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One Surprise, of them has to uh, die or, you know, something. Uh, I, I think that maybe the best episode, at least as my opinion goes, that where they, you know, almost get it is uh, lessons, but still, you know, there's maybe some things to talk about for that one. But that's a while in the future. So back on the bridge, the Talarian ship has reached transporter range and still refuses to communicate. So they put in a tractor beam to prevent them from beaming to the planet. This does get their attention, and the ship contacts them. The first thing they see on the view screen is the woman Wyatt's been drawing. Gasp and stuff. This is a surprise, I guess. So the Talarians aren't really hostile they've just been traveling for a while to haven because they want to die in a nice place well uh, yeah we're all plague ridden here and sure we seem healthy but we're gonna just gonna go hang out on a beach somewhere and die so yeah they don't want to interact with the population they want to go to the other side of the planet be somewhere isolated it's fine also and oh by the way do you have someone named wyatt on board yes <laughs> this might be important for uh our plot and your plot maybe well, uh, we'll just we're just asking just in case. Yeah, it turns out that Arena, the woman from the drawing, has also been drawing Wyatt and knew that he'd be here. So they're they're like soulmates and psychically connected. Yeah. Also, uh, not super related, but uh, the chair, the uh, the t- uh, Talarian uh, uh, captain person uh, was sitting on at the beginning there ends up in Worf's quarters eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Worf had some off-screen adventures hunting down that Talarian ship. I want that chair. <laughs> so Wyatt's understandably a bit confused by all of this weird predestination stuff that seems to be happening. And he goes to the wisest person he knows, Luxana. So, uh, Luxana, 
can you tell my future? You're like psychic, right? Yeah, he gets her to finally calm down from all of her random asides and mm-hmm. just being generally weird. Uh, enough to do some sort of explaining stuff. Like, oh, uh, we're not in ridiculous mode here. We actually like, you know, you want to talk to me like a human being. Okay, that's actually cool. Yeah, get yeah. serious, which is one of the fun things with Luxana because she is obviously just being weird and crazy because she can get away with it. Now see the other side of her. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it, she says that this is something that most humans can't really understand, which is the very simple fact that things aren't really as separate as everyone seems to believe. Everyone and everything in the universe is connected in some way, including Wyatt and Arena. So, you know, that's cool. Just so you know, I'm giving you a sort of a implicit thumbs up that your connection's valid, yeah. so, yeah. Possibly with interdimensional mushrooms or some stupid thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, there's quantum entanglement here, guys. It's fine. Wyatt gets some medical supplies ready to send over to the Talarians and also secretly grabs a hypospray. Stops by to say a weird goodbye to his parents and to Diana, then races to the transporter room, knocks out the transporter guy, and beams himself to the Talarian ship. Oh. Well, uh, he is a doctor, so getting the uh, off-button hypospray is in character. But uh, this seems a little suicidal all the same. A little bit. He arrives in a weird creepy Wyatt altar room. (laughs) Oh, this is my uh, reverse art gallery situation Mm -hmm. where I'm the one being put on display. Surrounded by drawings of himself at various ages. (laughs) So she's been stalking me for quite a while. Well, I guess it's fair. I've been psychically stalking her too, I guess. Irene is very happy to see him because the bioweapon illness, he can never return, but the Talarians got what they came for, which is Wyatt, and now they're going to leave. Because he's going to try to cure them. So, you know, sorry for leaving us suddenly, everyone. Goodbye. Yes. So, so, uh, Diana, I'm not going to get married to you. I'm going to hang out with this uh, lady I just met. But, you know, I just met you. And, you know, sure, we made out that one time. But, you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's not like we had a super psychic, weird predestination connection or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well... (laughs) So uh, I guess the uh, maybe the, the surprise would be on Wyatt if they end up like just kind of not being compatible at all. It's like, we have a psychic connection, but we can't stand each other in person. So the Millers and Luxana leave because no wedding, their kid's basically dead, you know, that kind of thing. Puts a damper yes. on stuff. Well, uh, Steven still seems uh, kind of chipper, but he's like, oh, yeah, this kind of bites. Luxana gets one more dig in at Picard before beaming out because she's the best. And the ship heads out for their next adventure, hmm. which will be equally stupid. <laughs> Picard's just like, well, I survived that. Uh, uh, that's cool. <laughs> so, uh, Haven, um, some stuff happened. Yeah, like, and then, sort of. And then, and then the plot ended. <laughs> yeah, the plot resolves itself. The, the entire episode is an excuse to let Michelle Barrett have fun, and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so she has some fun. We uh, get some interesting stuff going on. We get some nightmare luggage and we're introduced to uh, Oksana and Mr. Hom. And uh, that's good enough. Yeah, this entire episode almost reads as like one of those backdoor pilot things that they used to do. Like this is where we're going to introduce the Luxana spinoff show. Yes. (laughs) So on, you know, the Luxana spinoff show where she... uh, you know, goes and uh, to various planets and, uh, you know, uh, finds people that are uh, a little too full of themselves and uh, 
helps bring them down a notch and then uh, occasionally meets cool people that are like, you know, you're a little intense, but you're actually kind of cool and like knowledgeable and wise, you know, just we have to kind of, you know, let you know that we're not like, you know, Victoria over here. So why didn't we get that? I mean, it would have been great. <laughs> I would have preferred it to DS9 personally. Well, Loxana does show up in DS9, though. Yes, she does. The only show she doesn't show up in is Voyager. Yeah. Or, you know, I guess also Enterprise and things after that. But yeah. yeah, it would have been great if she showed up in Enterprise. <laughs> it's like, hi, I'm from the future. Why is Brent Spiner the only one who ever gets to play his own ancestors, huh? <laughs> um, because he's a weird clone of himself, I guess, forever. Seems to be, yeah. <laughs> Do like a first contact with the uh, the Beta Zeds and Loxana's there and she's like, hey, everyone, how you doing? <laughs> You humans have some weird minds. <laughs> That's one we haven't gotten to see yet. We, okay, so Strange New Worlds can do first contact with Beta Zeds, have a younger person playing Luxana, because that would make sense, mm-hmm. and have a weird scene with her in the new Nurse Chapel. Yes. <laughs> uh, and number one at the same time. <laughs> yes. Her, Nurse Chapel, and number one all hang out. <laughs> I don't know, it just feels like we have a weird connection. Yeah, I don't know what's up. Hmm, well, I'll see you around, all right? The sad thing is that's exactly the sort of thing new Star Trek is probably going to do. Because it's that yeah, kind of I'll, fan shit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm, cool with it, though, because, you know, you know, it, I'm sometimes like, I, I'm, I'm good with that kind of fan <laughs> service there, so... <laughs> Yeah, it just shows you how the how she became the most important person on Beta Z. It's not mentioned much, but she's the Beta Z ambassador. She's like nobility. Yeah, it's like you know the the, the heir of the sacred rings of rings of uh, who nots and the sacred chalice uh, that apparently has mold in it and uh, the uh, some sort of sacred house as well. Yep. So of course. This episode brings up arranged marriage, and we're not yes. going to spend a lot of time talking about it because it's a very, very complicated cultural thing that mm-hmm. has a ton of nuances that I am not in the right cultural space to comment on because I grew up yes. in one of those colonialist countries. Yes. Western Christian, you know, we're going to kind of throw each other at each other and then someone gets married so there might be shotgun involved occasionally but you know a lot of the time it's either you know it's like ah just kind of get married to someone from high school or you know, you do a dating thing later and all that sort of marriage is weird <laughs> the thing that i do want to comment on which i think is really interesting especially given cultural attitudes in the 80s because you could so easily have this be a like oh my god Arranged marriage? That's stupid and awful. What a stupid, archaic tradition that I can't believe people still do in this day and age. Mm-hmm. You could definitely see them doing that. It's been done on other shows. Like I've yes. seen it. This episode doesn't really comment on the good or bad of it. It's mostly just a, we have a crew member who has a different culture and traditions and while it might not make sense to us it's her culture and traditions indeed and so you know yeah she will sort it out on her own time and own own sort of uh business there but you know as far as us as the you know human outsiders here we're just gonna sort of observe here to you know a general degree it's a little much to say that they did it super well because it's basically just fine but I think a lot of times since, 
even in a lot of Star Trek, they don't really do as good a job on the sort of cultural acceptance thing. Mm -hmm. Because it's so tempting for them to write in some kind of light debate. Some sort of, oh, this isn't how we do things. Should we question it? Maybe not. This is our values to not question it. This one, it's like, it obviously doesn't make sense to everyone. A lot of people obviously have negative feelings around it. But no one at any time does anything beyond simply just asking her if it's what she wants to do. Yeah. And as uh, long as she says yes, then we're cool with what's going yeah. on. So, Which, you know, it's a pretty reasonable question. Is this something you want? Yeah, you want to go along with your planet's traditions? Cool. All right. Well, let's go forward. So uh, I guess the, uh, the, 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 the ones most questioning it, I think, uh, are, the, are the parents involved. Uh, but they don't want to be explicitly questioning it. And it's not so much that they object to the practice, but object to having to be in-laws with each other. Yes, they don't like each other. And then there's a weird one. There's there's a weird thing that you could explore. I'm kind of glad that they didn't do too much of it because I don't think America in the 80s, even on a show that could be this well-written, um, would handle this well. But there's a really interesting sort of interplay going on with the millers because it's stated that the millers are the ones who initiated this mm -hmm. at near the beginning laksana says the millers tracked me down and reminded me of our obligations yes <laughs> but they are also the most disrespectful of beta z traditions yep <laughs> well uh, maybe it's wyatt who uh sword kicked is like hey uh, parents uh remember that thing uh, I'm kind of tired of, uh, you know, drawing, you know, my, my, my future wife, uh, for, uh, forever and never actually meeting her. So maybe we can sort this out. And Victoria's like, all right, I guess we'll, uh, talk, uh, ch uh track down Loxana. And Steve's like, yeah, heck yeah, we're gonna, you know, gonna have a wedding here. It's great. So they track down Loxana and Loxana's like, oh, bother. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess if we're going to do this, <laughs> It would have just played into a stereotype, so I'm glad that they didn't. But I could see this being a thing from his mother. It's like, well, he's a doctor, but he needs to get married, and I want my grandkids. And just... oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that old cliche. Yeah, you know, we this might be the future, and humans, you know, could live to like 150 we are, uh, plus here. Uh, but I'm not getting any younger, even though I'm not even 100 yet. So you know, going to have some babies, please. I mean, we don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how people are supposed to look in a hundred. <laughs> well, McCoy is like super old. <laughs> He's still around and around. Yeah. So it is fun. It's like a good episode for showing actual cultural acceptance, which is not even something that they do consistently in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm reminded of a, a later episode uh, involving Loxana where she's questioning uh, the planet's uh, uh, policy on age-based euthanasia. Uh, where the, the the crew is kind of like, well, yeah, we're not going to really interfere here, but she's really you know intense on this uh, here, and uh, you know, I guess that's maybe one of the ones where that sort of acceptance and things like that is you know examined directly, um, but you know that's also questioning it. Well, this is just we're accepting it. Yeah, there's two sides to the thing, and both are pretty valid storytelling choices, and both are useful mm -hmm. in their own ways. This is more. This is demonstrative. This yes. is this is how one can and should act in these situations. 
Don't be dickish about other people's beliefs and culture. Don't question things that other people are obviously fine with. Don't put your own moral values on somebody else's situation. Then there's the other way of doing this, which is a, we're going to talk about what it would actually mean if we did interfere with another culture. Because do we get to, do we have that right? Who are we to judge another people's cultural norm? How much of this is our own investment in the people that are specifically we're interacting with here? Versus, you know, decrying the, you know, the, the norm itself, uh, which is, you know, an important factor in that other episode. I wish I remember the name of right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's one of the amazing looks on episodes. We'll find it. Yes. Hmm. So uh, I guess, uh, to, I guess the lesson of the episode is uh, be chill with uh, other folks' cultures. And, uh, you know, you know, if you, you have, it's not your culture then it's not your problem, really. <laughs> yeah. Stop doing what you're doing, Riker. It's creepy, and they learn how to write him better eventually, yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I can maybe forgive some of his dickishness here because he's, like, super caught off guard and was maybe, at this point, it's like, well, we're on the same ship. Maybe I can rekindle something like that here, but this is sort of like slamming the door uh, hard on that, uh, you know, particular, well, you know, you know, dream there, but also it wasn't like built up at all. So you know, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they constant they have a bad through line with this. They wanted to have some sort of will they won't they tension with the ex lovers on the ship, and uh, nobody could write that well. I'm really glad that it got dropped. I think it was one of those casualties of the weird like no interpersonal conflict decree. Yes. <laughs> Well, this is interpersonal conflict. Get rid of it. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate later, though, that, uh, you know, uh, Riker is like, well, I've met someone, Diana. Uh, just want to let you know. And, you know, Diana's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> so, I know we used to be an item. I don't want you to be feeling jealous. But, uh, yeah, you do this all the time sort of reaction mm-hmm. from her. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's cool that he, he's like, you yeah, know, at that point, uh, respectful enough, you know, to sort of keep her informed and, you know, you know, not caught off guard. Um, but, you know, also at that point, he's already been kind of established as a, a bit of a ladies man. So, you know. Yeah, because they gave him all the Kirk stuff. Yes. <laughs> I do think that uh, the other the other theme, if you can go so far as to call it that in this episode, because the episode is so light on anything but hijinks, mm-hmm. is interesting to look at with the kind of then and now because we sort of dropped off on this as a major concern that we spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about even though 80s 90s and early thousands even this was a very constant thing that kept popping up in media which is the clear ever-present danger and just how bad an idea biological weapons would be yep (laughs) biological weapons don't really care who you are they're going to do you harm if you're exposed to them so you know don't do that so also in general don't make biological weapons because your risk of exposure goes from zero to any and any is bad yeah i think everyone knows it's a horrible idea at this point like i do Mm -hmm. think it's interesting just how quickly it's fallen off the map as a plot line and things yeah, well, 
maybe to a certain degree as a civilization, we've kind of learned this lesson. I hope <laughs> that doesn't sound likely. That doesn't sound like us. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe we could just toss the Andromeda strain at anyone that uh, tries to think about it. Uh, it's like, yeah, this is bad. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been talking, I know this episode is going to come out a bit later, but like, we, we've been constantly talking about whether or not Russia is going to employ nuclear weapons, which, like, we should all be beyond because th everyone knows how bad an idea that is. And everyone thought that would be something that would only happen if some random, you know, no one cares terrorist group wound up with things. Yeah, not a, a major superpower. Strike, yeah, but that's where we're at. So, you know, who knows with the biological weapon junk? Perhaps people have decided it's one of those things that's not worth worrying about because either people are going to use them or they're not. If someone is foolish enough to use it, uh, I guess we're all doomed anyway, so... Eh. <laughs> yeah, you can spend all this time and energy on TV going like, oh, look how stupid this very similar to Earth's ci civilization was for using a biological weapon. Are you paying attention? And, yes. you know, I don't know. South Korea might launch a biological weapon if they feel like it and no one can particularly stop them so maybe it's just not a storyline that people find interesting nowadays yeah our uh border will uh save us and there'll be nothing that ever crosses over that and uh, brings the plague to our own uh territory right yeah also perhaps and i think it dropped off before this so this is definitely not what happened but perhaps people are a little more worried about dealing with the non-biological weapon kind of virus right now yes <laughs> it's like oh yeah this kind of sucks uh so uh you know let's like uh put some things together to maybe you know have this not be so much of a problem in the future hopefully oh and then we have the anti-mask people showing up this is going to be more complicated than we thought i mean now we could do a very realistic rendition of what would actually happen with the biological weapon because like i mean obviously that would be how you would want it to disperse but everyone always assumes it's some sort of lingering airborne illness mm -hmm. but if it wasn't something that just immediately hit the entire population at once you would have to have this sort of like well we're trying to mitigate it but i mean that's hurting the economy and maybe we do <laughs> have to sacrifice some people so that we you know can move on we can't let the biological weapon control our lives that means the terrorists win <laughs> Like what? I, I I hate that sort of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. How many of uh, you are uh, willing to sacrifice your lives and those of your family for the economy? Well, I'm not, but all of you must because I'm in charge. So do that. What? Yeah, the economy. Yeah. Everyone's worried about the economy. Mm -hmm. This abstract notion that no one's worried talks about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the economy, the uh, the real deity of the modern world. Anyway, I don't think I have time remaining to go on that particular rant but <laughs> um i guess we could uh, touch on uh you know the the concept of uh disease stigma a little bit uh so i, I looked up a little bit of information about leprosy oh yeah that's a fun one though this one is particularly more aping the plague ship idea yes but uh, there's still a, uh, a certain amount of you know everyone's sort of fearful of these people and so they're going to actively shun uh, or, uh, you know, try to get rid of them uh, through whatever uh, means they happen to be making use of. And, you know, given spaceships and all that sci-fi show, we're going to use phasers. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, so leprosy is like uh, a, uh, a bacterial sort of uh, infection uh, that 
causes uh, you know lesions, bumps. Uh, generally, it makes your body all kind of uh, corroded. In, I guess is maybe one way to describe it. You start looking fairly gnarly once you sort of have it uh, going full bore on you. Yeah. Uh, and so it's very much something that people can look at someone with the advanced stages here and be all like, that person is diseased and I'm going to try to avoid them because this is the, you know, the 1600s and, you know, I don't want to, you know, get you know, the, the, the foulness in my own body and uh, end up uh, corrupt, corrupted by the, uh, the evil there as is because, you know, you know, early history here. Anyway. Um, so, you know, to a you know certain degree, it is a disease that nowadays, you know, when it's caught in the earlier stages, is actually quite curable. Um, but, you know, back in the day before, you know, antibiotics and all that, you, you know, it really wasn't. Uh, and, you know, it's people didn't quite understand how it's being spread, uh, you know, and what, what the uh, various risk factors are, or that. Some people actually have a, a pretty good natural resistance to it, so they're actually going to be fine uh, being near somebody with it. It's just sort of a, no, these are the people we're going to avoid, and they need to be elsewhere. Uh, and so, you know, there's things like uh, leper colonies, where they'd actually ship people out to remote areas to, you know, basically be in the same place with, you know, you know everyone there has the disease, uh, and so they don't come in contact with anyone else. Uh, and, you know, that was sort of seen as the humane way to go about, you know, trying to stop it. Uh, and it's one of those things that, you know, ha lasted basically until we had a uh, a pretty good way to sort of, uh, you know, fight it. And there are still, you know, territories and areas where there is effectively still leper colonies to this day. It just sort of, you know, less we're forcing you to go there sort of stuff more. I got you know, this stuff before, you know, it was, you know, curable. So I'm kind of just going to hang out here and I'm fine with that sort of situation. It persisted for a weirdly long time. So this is something that shows up in the Bible mm -hmm. and in some ways is still happening now. Yes. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's something that is a, a significant cultural impact because uh, of how it's sort of been with our uh, world for as long as apparently we can, uh, you know, make note of it. Though, of course, in the Bible, it's like Jesus is healing his lepers, and he's not entirely clear if it, what he's actually described, being described there is actually leprosy, but, you know, close enough, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, actual infections, I believe the current science suggests it's uh, actually, um, like, exposure to, like, uh, sneezes and things like that. Uh, so, semi-airborne uh, to a degree. Um, so, it's, you know, you can potentially catch it like the common cold. It just takes a number of years for it to sort of manifest sort of thing. But, uh, you know, you should be able to catch it pretty early if you start developing symptoms. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's like a thing. And it is, and uh, it does kind of bring me to one of my favorite anomalous quirks of political geography, actually. Mm. Um, so in uh, Hawaii, uh, there is a... I guess the leftovers of a, uh, a leper colony there. The, I believe it's called uh, the uh, Kalaupapa uh, uh, Unincorporated Community. Uh, it is sort of on a remote part of one of the islands. And just like, you know, here's a peninsula that's kind of cut off from the rest of the island by sheer cliffs. And the only way over land you can get there is by a, a small like goat trail sort of situation. The best way to get in and out is by boat, actually. 
So it's fairly isolating. And if you know, you know, you know, if, you know if you're cruising around in like the 1900s uh, there, uh, it's like, I'm, I'm a, a sea captain and I'm steamshipping around here. I'm going to avoid this area because I don't want to get leprosy sort of thing there. Uh, and yeah, so it's a, a very much a, a situation where, you know, you get, you know, you know, that the sort of the colony thing going on here, but then, you know, we get to the modern day and it's like, well, there's still a community there. It's not as populated as it uh, once was, um, but it is still technically its own sort of village there. And it's, I think it's in its own county technically. Uh, and it's not the least populated county in the United States, but it's pretty close. It's like only a hundred some people. Uh, so it is, you know, sort of one of those weird quirks that kind of is a, a, a lingering leftover of that sort of, uh, not, I'm trying to avoid saying treatment, but, uh, the, 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 of, of the disease, but the treatment of the people with the disease here. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, it's not as much of a thing, but where I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, or near Phoenix, you know, it doesn't matter to people outside of Phoenix, which is currently one of the largest cities in the nation. I forget if it's third or fourth. It just moved around recently. Um, it started. The only reason anyone lived there before like 1970 was because it was a tubercular colony. Huh. People got sent there for tuberculosis because the only thing that you could do for someone with tuberculosis was to send them out to somewhere that was dry and warm. Yes. So you're... Uh... Yeah, you know, a lot of uh, fluids sort of build up in the lungs and things like that. So, you know, getting rid, you know, getting into a position where you're not going to just be breathing in a lot of moisture. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So that's the only reason that this one of the largest cities in the United States exists. Mm-hmm. It's because that's where you were sending people with this illness. And then in the '70s, of course, they invented air conditioning, which yes. <laughs> helped. <laughs> all right we can finally cool down everybody <laughs> like that's why my family was there it was like my uh I believe my great great grandmother was sent there because she had tuberculosis oh well uh, uh glad she uh managed to uh do well enough there to uh you know kick off your family and allow you to exist <laughs> hmm. oh well speaking of uh tuberculosis uh and dry air uh another place they would uh, sometimes put people is uh large underground caverns such as mammoth cave in kentucky yeah so there was like uh, like even still there's uh, some leftovers from uh, the uh, you know the tb uh, uh tuberculosis uh, sort of you know colony treatment areas there uh where you know, you know there's a bunch of like old beds and things like that that they brought down so if you could just live there until they got better i guess uh, or died uh, which tended to be the more likely outcome during the 1800s. Uh, and so, you know, it's like, well, it's dry air. So uh, we'll, uh, you know, down here, sure, it's a cave that was formed by water, but, you know, we're out of the humidity outside uh, and all that. So that's good. And, uh, you know, we're keeping people local so they can still see their families occasionally. Hooray! Yeah. People, uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of history uh, involved with uh, folks and how they treat those with diseases and things like that. Apparently in the future, it gets to the point where anyone with a disease isn't even allowed on a planet. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, they do kind of negotiate. Uh, can we have like a random beach somewhere far away from anyone? And they're like, oh, okay, fine, I guess. But then they're like, oh, we're leaving. Oh, oh okay. Never mind. Then. <laughs> it's like, we'll talk to them. It's like, yeah, never mind. That was a ruse anyway. Bye. <laughs> 
Oh, uh, I, I didn't really bring it up in the recap, but the uh, the like the 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 leader of the uh, of Haven there is apparently really eager to blow up the ship. Give to the gods, shoot them, please. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, chill out, lady. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's really kind of all I had uh, to go here, and uh, we could talk more about uh, diseases and how we sort of interact with them uh, as we get into uh, more plague episodes, which there are plenty in star trek so weird weird amount yeah (laughs) but you know this was a very light episode Mm -hmm. and also a politically fraught episode that i am honestly not equipped to handle yeah which yeah happens admit when you can't do something yes um so uh if you're in a culture with uh arranged marriages and you're cool with that uh, thumbs up that just means that since we've run out of things to actually say about anything, it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. We got a number of contestants here. In fact, the, the room's pretty crowded today, but we only got so many prizes to hand out because uh, we've only got uh, so many folks uh, reaching the, uh, the the threshold to get their prizes. So our first one is the Today is Logical Prize, which goes to Wyatt for beaming over to the, that uh, Talarian, uh, those guys' ship over there, uh, to be to go and hang out with the hot blonde. What does he win, Gapwin? He wins an environmental suit. This is a thing. That they yes. have that you could have used to at the very least try to not catch the disease for as long as possible so you have more time to work on the cure so that you aren't actively dying from a disease that who knows how long it'll take to kill you while you're trying to cure it indeed so uh he might be on there for years or he might be dead tomorrow we don't know because he didn't take any precautions whatsoever our second prize is the psychic hotline prize which goes out to ariana and to a degree, the the, the Troys, uh, mother and daughter, uh, you know, because you know we got this weird connection and brains talking to brains. Well, so what do they all win, Gepwin? They all win the most Thanksgiving dinners, because you know, family Thanksgiving dinner always a bit of a problem. But like, if everyone's just always hearing each other's thoughts all the time, <laughs> like family get-togethers just must not be a thing. Well. Uh... And maybe you have some sort of weird focus sort of thing, but also you could maybe turn yourself on a general listen or general broadcast or something. There's probably some social mores there that we don't quite get here because, well, we as viewers are not psychic. Anyway, our third one is the appropriate reaction prize, which goes to the Millers to Loxana's trolling. Uh, you know, Victoria... You know, being, you know, like, oh, I, I, you, you're trolling me. This is bad. And Steve being like, hmm, well, I guess I can be naked. Uh, what do they win, Gepwin? The Millers win. They really just appreciation for Luxana. It's like, mm-hmm. it seems like she would be an annoying person to have to actually be around. But also, you should appreciate and cherish her. So mm-hmm. stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so chill out and... uh you know, be more like Steven, less like Victoria. <laughs> oh. Our final prize is the Mr. Hom prize, which goes to Mr. Hom for being amazing as Mr. Hom, and also drinking a lot because he is Mr. Hom and he's like that sometimes. So what does Mr. Hom win, Gepwin? I mean, you said it. Mr. Hom wins all the drinks. <laughs> it's the only characterization the guy gets is he can drink and he will drink. 
Yes, and he will drink a lot. <laughs> so congrats, Mr. Holm and the rest. Uh, Loxana, uh, keep bringing that good boy around and uh, we'll keep welcoming you back uh, you know, many times in the future. So uh, yeah, that's all I got, Gap One. Feel free to take us away. Well, thank you everyone for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. So, uh, do you like gangsters? If, if, not really, but I mean, apparently it's obligatory. Yep. <laughs> gotta, gotta get the gangster episode in here. Uh, uh, how do you feel about holodecks? And this is, this is the interesting one on this, because like, <laughs> this is the introduction holodeck episode. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously connected to the one animated series episode the rec room yep um which i don't think was the name of the episode but when they all went into the rec room and it malfunctioned and tried to kill them because the ship was was being a practical joker which happens again yep (laughs) this is the thing this is what they do for a while like people people poke fun at this it's not literally every episode there's plenty of episodes where they just use the holodeck as a thematic device to explore something or as a side thing or a side story Mm -hmm. it's not literally every time they step into the thing someone's going to get killed but yes (laughs) it's most of the time uh you know this this runs all the way through voyager and it's like all right so uh i guess you have the holodeck still running despite the power issues I guess that means we're going to get uh, someone zapped into another dimension or eaten by a, a glowing thing or, you know, maybe aliens from another dimension come and show up. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of craziness there. <laughs> yeah, but Captain Proton was the best thing to come out of Voyager. Yes. So. <laughs> I do appreciate Captain Proton. Uh, this is the big goodbye next episode. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> gangster inspired film noir holodeck episode it's really interesting because it's the introduction of the holodeck they have no idea how they want people to interact with the holodeck Mm -hmm. it's it's something they never do again is seeing it's it's a weird one because you get to see the crew be mildly uncomfortable with new technology which is not something that comes up a lot in this series yeah, the uh, I guess the uh, you know despite the rec room, uh, the uh, this is sort of the you know a hol- full holodeck with actual other characters in it is maybe a new th- a new sort of tech that they're uh, you know it's like this is a state of the art vessel here and you know, this holodeck stuff is getting big here so maybe we should have one of these on board and everyone's like huh this is kind of fascinating I'm I'm like really kind of a, intrigued by what's going on but. Also, we don't know how the technology works yet, so we're going to have problems. And they also ask and do not engage with some (laughs) fundamental questions about the nature of existence that they refuse to get into all the way through the end of Voyager. Yep. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say that Chaotica is is fully uh, aware of his existence but just likes being so campy, doesn't mind. Yeah, we'll get into more of this, but this gets into this weird, like, holograms or whatever they want them to be in Star Trek. It doesn't make any sense how they function, but it's fine narratively. Yeah. 
I guess to a certain degree, it's sort of like you, know, you can have a robot that, you know, welds cars, uh, a robot that uh, is like Data or something in between. And you can sort of pick and choose which one it is and not worry about any sort of moral implications about what you're doing as far as full simulations of people. Yeah, you've got apparently what is a semi-sentient or fully sentient, fully independent computer program that exists as its own completely independent, isolated entity that is so disconnected from the computer server that it's running on that the computer can't actually access information that is held inside of the program. And the mm -hmm. entire program itself can be transferred wholesale, but not really copied well, and parts of it can be damaged and lost forever. It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, it's like uh, you're, you're doing some sort of like uh, genetic code, but with programming. Yeah, so anyway, it's just they, they make a soul. They store a soul yeah. in the computer, and when no one's supposed to question this. Yes, the, uh, we, we begin our adventures with ghosts and machines, I suppose. Yeah, so next episode, the strange ethical moral implications of existence itself in a Bad film noir send-off. <laughs> Cyrus Redlock will show you what's up. Mm -hmm. And the big goodbye. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the holodeck malfunctions for the first time. The series. have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>